0: So you want to know the ins and outs of managing your money. Well, lucky for you, you're just in time for another episode of Master Your Finances with Certified Financial Planner Professional, Kurt Baker. Kurt and his panel of experts are here for you and will cover topics from a legal and personal standpoint. They'll discuss tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money, and more. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Ryder offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Want to add new skills to your resume? Take a continuing studies course at Ryder University. Now, let's learn how we can better change our habits with Kurt Baker.
1: If you'd like to know more about venture capital and the broader investing world from the perspective of high school students, Join us as we dive into this fascinating area with Akash Patel and Andrew Summers, recent graduates making waves in the finance industry. Akash, a venture analyst at 1435 Capital, is adept at analyzing companies, conducting due diligence, and sourcing deals. Additionally, is an incoming freshman at Northwestern University, studying economics and mathematics. Andrew, who's going to the University of Virginia for business with a finance concentration works on assessing startups, writing research reports and deal sourcing as an analyst at the same company together. They'll share insights gained during their summer experiences as they work on starting their own venture capital fund called Room fund, offering valuable advice for high schoolers interested in finance and venture capital. Tune in to learn how you can get involved and take actionable steps to explore this exciting industry. Join us for this eye-opening discussion as we uncover the opportunities that lie ahead for ambitious high schoolers. That is awesome. I love it when I hear about high schoolers like already interested in finance. Because those of us in the financial world complain... They don't really teach a whole lot of finance in high school, from what I from what I recall, at least. Yeah, they still don't. They still don't, right? And it's kind of an important aspect of real life because one of the main stressors of adults is finances. Mm -hmm. Number one reason for divorce is usually finances, and uh, the one number one reason people get themselves in trouble in general is they just don't simply understand economics and finance. So I think it's fantastic you guys are starting at a young age. Um, So wow. So how did you guys? I guess we'll, we could start with Akash here, since I guess I was told he's a little bit older than you, Andrew, right? So mm-hmm. we'll have to go senior here for a second, mm-hmm. even though you're the same grade age. Yeah. So Akash, so what got, when did you first realize that you were actually interested in finance itself?
2: Yeah, I think throughout my upbringing, I was kind of always interested in like making predictions, whether it be in sports. Um, I know with my grandfather, I would always talk. Uh, he would teach me a lot about um, stocks and investing, and I would kind of follow the, a couple of the big-name companies. And then when I got to high school... Um, I was able to take an accounting class, which was pretty interesting. And the teacher that I had there was uh, very uh, helpful to me. And I think that that kind of opened me up to the finance industry in the first place. And so I just kind of went into that industry, looked for some more opportunities, looked for internships. Um, Last summer I did a internship at a local venture capital fund that opened me up to venture capital specifically. So once I did that, I became very interested in I- impact investing in, venture ca- in the venture capital space in general. So heading into this summer, I knew that I wanted to do something within venture capital and private equity. And I was, I'm was i very grateful for this opportunity that I have right now, which is to be a venture analyst at 1435 Capital.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. We're definitely gonna talk about that. So you, Andrew, had the same question, mm-hmm. essentially. So what kind of triggered your interest in and why? Because this is early age for people to actually get involved in finance, which I think is awesome again.
3: Yeah, so I was doing some investing in like, Eight or ninth grade with my dad, uh, he would teach me like how to predict uh, like car prices using statistical models. So I was like really interested in that from early on, and then eventually I just kept following down the rabbit hole, getting into more investing. Like I've, I was interested in becoming like an investment banker, so I was kind of teaching myself how to do like DCF models, uh, like reading markets, doing other kinds of like statistical modeling, like Monte Monte Carlo uh, simulations. But then eventually I realized it's like it's not as fulfilling in a way, it's more just numbers. And I kind of wanted to work with like impact and like making a difference in some capacity. So I kind of discovered venture capital and how like investing in the future and that just was something really interesting to me. So I guess I just started looking for stuff like that at the beginning of this year and eventually found my way to 1435.
1: Oh, that is awesome. And I think I heard in both cases, we have a grandfather and a father that both yeah. kind of like yeah. mentored you and taught you a little bit at home. So this really mm-hmm. came more or less from the home atmosphere. And they showed you, they kind of exposed you to this, which I think is really important. Uh, we as parents need to be more proactive in, in exposing our children to aspects of finance. So now that you're here, you're now at 1435 Capital. I guess my first question is, how did you get here? Were you, guys, were you the only ones that wanted to come this summer? Or was there a process you went through to get here?
3: Well, I would say there was pretty, there's a pretty long process. Like, all right, the application had over 300 people apply for. So it was pretty competitive. Um, I mean, for me, it was just kind of like discovering um, like more of what I was interested in beyond like normal finance stuff, I would say, just because like venture capital's really unknown to a lot of people and especially young people. So I think having the opportunity to do
2: that. It's pretty special. Yeah, I think for me, the way that I kind of found my way here, I was just looking for some, you know, I was, I, I, I'm a high schooler and there's not that many opportunities in the business world. So I was kind of just looking for what I could get. And I found this opportunity just online and I saw that it was a private equity venture capital internship. And I like that was my top priority. And so filled out the application, then had uh, to do a a full report on analyzing a company, which was definitely really interesting. So I picked J.P. Morgan, and it was uh, very interesting to kind of dissect the business and look at it um, from a look at the financial markets from a broad view, but also analyze that company. Mm -hmm. And then we had an interview. So it was a pretty long process, but um, it was definitely good to learn a lot about what we're actually gonna be doing on the job throughout that process.
3: Yeah, our reports are pretty extensive. I think my report
1: was like six or seven pages long. You're yeah, same, same, right? Okay, so it's obviously very competitive. Uh-huh. Only a couple of you got here. I think it's, how many, how many interns are there here? Out of the 300? Four. Four, four of you total, yeah. right? So that's pretty amazing uh, that you guys kind of made that cut already. So now that you're here, when you first came into the venture capital world, What did you first start to learn that maybe surprised you a little bit? Like, go ahead.
2: Uh, Yeah, so I think for me, the biggest part of venture capital I think that's different than other types of investing is a lot of the investing is kind of qualitative. So you gotta look at the team, you gotta, so throughout the summer I've kind of learned being on these founder calls, you gotta assess the business, assess their metrics, but also assess how well you think the team is gonna be able to accomplish their goals and how well you think that they're going to be able to capture elements of the market and that's been definitely very eye opening because you know you can analyze a lot of models but being able to have that sense of what kind of team is fit for um, success is something that's gained over with gained through a lot of experience and i'm hoping to you know gain those that type of experience throughout this summer and beyond yeah i second that for sure i would, initially going in
3: i had an idea that vcu was kind of less numbers oriented which is which was fine but I guess I discovered more that it's a lot about reading people and kind of seeing like a fit in a way. Like, are these founders the right people to be taking on this problem in this market uh, with whatever product they have? And it's kind of like, do they have this experience behind them or the drive? And those things are just hard to assess on face value. You have to get to know the person better, just to get an idea.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. You guys are learning at a very young age that success is more about the person and how they're developing than it is about all these other things around Because you hear about companies that are run by really good CEOs, and then all of a sudden that CEO leaves for some reason and the company kind of dives, Definitely. Or vice versa, yeah, that the true. company's having trouble and one person comes in and you have tens of thousands of employees and somehow this one person just perpetuates through the whole process of the whole system based on their... Uh, personality and how they implement strategies, right? Mm-hmm. So That's yeah, absolutely. And that goes with all that goes every level, right? No matter what level you have managers learn that like, it's more about the person I'm hiring, because then I can teach them the, the skill sets. It's uh, if I don't have the right material to start with, it's going to be awfully hard to, to build what I'm trying to build. Right. Mm-hmm. So what do you guys know? So once you got into the process, what'd you guys start learning initially?
2: The main things that we did initially were, we were writing investor reports on companies that we might be looking at investing, um, or writing reports on companies to inform our investors of the fund. Um, that was definitely good to learn uh, business writing because I think a lot of us were, obviously we just got out of high school or some of us are already in hi- or some of us are in high school. So a lot of our writing we do is kind of like essay writing. So it was good to learn how to write in. a a different type of way in like a business way because it's more straight to the point. It's more about the facts, less, um, you don't have to worry too much about flowery language, things like that. And that's just good to learn, I think, at an early age. Um, And that's something that I learned early on. And then the other part that we kind of were getting into is the uh, meeting with founders and getting on pitch events to um, learn about different companies and learn about the team that we could be working with.
3: Yeah, I would Mm. say, like uh, definitely business writing was a big thing, just kind of transitioning from like writing papers in English class to writing concise, constructive uh, research papers. But like hopping on calls with founders, you have to ask a lot of questions. And even if you think a question might be like dumb or it's obvious, like it still helps to ask because there's other people in the room that might have the same thing. And you could totally gloss over something that might be important, a couple calls or investments down the line. So you don't want to like want to miss something. So I'd say like being overly curious and asking more questions is definitely something you should do. Uh, and we've learned that just by hopping on tons of tons of calls and just having a bunch of meetings.
1: Wow. so 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 far, like uh, so you so you get learn how to ask the question. So uh, what kind of questions do you typically ask that kind of are pretty normal as far as the process goes?
2: I think for me, the questions the type of questions that I like to ask is, kind of forward-looking. How do you think you're going to be able to capture the market? What about your business separates you from other businesses that might be similar or other businesses that are already established? And kind of using your questions to craft in your head how you think that this business can fare um, you know, in the next couple of years. And I think that those types of questions are the best. Um, they're, they're one of the types of questions, but I think those are the best for envisioning the future of the company.
3: Uh, yeah, I would say a lot of it is like, asking what their moat is, which is how are they going to be able to protect against competitors kind of like adapting or like copying their ideas in a way and then having that existing uh, customer base and just taking over that market that they were trying to capture. So knowing like what what their unique value is and what they bring that competitors can't necessarily do is something that you definitely need to know and like figure out, because if there's not much special about them, then like why would why would somebody pay uh, for this new startup thing versus okay. going to an existing company? or why would an existing company not just like take over
1: the product or service that this new startup is doing? Right. Absolutely. Well, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Master Your Finances. We'll be right back.
0: This is Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. Learn about tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing and saving your money and more from Kurt and his experienced panel of guests. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider University offers flexible education for adult learners. For more information, it's slash next step.
1: Welcome back. You listen to Master Your Finance and heard that Kash Patel and Andrew Summers. And we're talking about venture capital, I think is awesome. At a young age, you guys are already interested in kind of a really kind of a high end of the market, quote unquote. I mean, this is really where people like escalate to. You have business owners who create a successful business and then they have a liquidity event and they're like, hey, now what am I going to go do? And some of them decide, well, I don't really want to run the business anymore, but. I don't mind investing money and kind of being an outside advisor, quote unquote, and things like that. So what you guys are doing is really, really important for the economy. And I don't know that people actually understand just how important that is. But I want to talk a little bit about like what you guys must see a lot of, I mean, I I know as a venture, venture capital companies, it's a pretty high ratio, a pretty low ratio of the ones that actually get through the whole process. Can you want to tell us a little bit about? How people come to a venture capital company who comes to you and then how you guys kind of receive them on your end uh, so first of all if I'm looking for money how would I approach you and then how might you receive me based on different scenarios you know well mind. I mean there's a bunch of
3: different ways that we source deals or just startups reach out I mean there's obviously the cold emailing that normally doesn't go very far because right. kind of hard to like assess a startup through an email right but Um, There's a lot of pitch events that we attend where we'll just listen to like, I don't know, anywhere between five to 15 startups pitch and then ask questions, stuff like that. Um, There's website applications where, you know, companies will just fill in information and then you can kind of filter and go from there, maybe schedule a call if you're interested. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, there's any other kind of social media outreach. But for the most part, it's just like getting Going to events, um, just kind of like pitching your startup is probably the best way to get in contact with a VC, and then filtering and like assessing. I mean, we see we've probably seen at least fifty to seventy-five companies, yeah, just in our couple months here thus far. Uh, I mean, it's really a lot of just like looking through the p- the pitch deck, like trying to understand their product, uh, like what they bring that's unique, and then are the founders. Like, do they have the ambition? Do they have the drive? Are they, right, are they the right fit for this, this product
2: in this market environment? And I think a lot of these events that we go to, you know, they might be virtual or in-person or um, any of the applications that we get. We kind of go through them. Uh, we, you know, we, we have a form system. So based on if we're at a pitch event, we submit a, a form, a Google form, like, just internally. And it's kind of rating the company how well it fits our... Um, specific investment thesis and how well we think they can capture the market. And then once we do that, if we collectively think that we should go further with the company, we can schedule these one-on-one calls, we can request maybe if, they're, uh, if they have products, we can request some products to test them out, and then we can go through the full uh, due diligence process, um, which is kind of how the whole, uh, pr- uh, from point A to point B, how we get um, from having a lot of these companies to making investments. Okay,
1: you just mentioned a couple of things in there. So, yeah, when you're going to these events, you you mentioned how it fits your investment thesis. Do you want mm-hmm. to explain what that is and how what yours is? What because you, you're cause every every VC entity, just like any bank or any other investor out there, it kind of mm-hmm. has a profile of what they're looking for. So, how do you determine that? And what do you, what do you guys like? What are you guys currently kind of looking for?
2: Yeah. So for. You know, investment thesis is broadly, it's different for every venture capital fund. As you said, um, it's kind of the way that each venture capital fund dif- differentiates itself from other venture capital funds. So um, some investment theses relate to like impact or sustainability. For us, we invest in, um, we're basically industry agnostic. We don't really focus on life sciences or med tech. So as for sectors, we invest in consumer packaged goods, uh, technology, financial technology, um, a lot of different industries. And for, for for the 1435 side, we invest in approximately 70% later stage companies and then 30% early stage companies. So that's kind of the spread that we go for. So when we go to these pitch events, you know, some of the funds have more narrow investment theses. Because we're more industry agnostic, we're able to hear a lot more and uh, have a lot more uh, companies to look at. Yeah,
3: like sometimes we'll hop on calls with, a chocolate startup one day and then other days there will be like this enterprise SaaS company that has a platform for managing whatever kind of consumer stuff. So it it really varies, which I like about it because you can go from, you can jump around from industry to industry and just like get this great perspective. But yeah, we don't, we really, we're pretty agnostic when we focus on industries or like a type of company.
1: That's pretty fascinating because most people, you know, most entities try to niche, 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 niche. I mean, like the tighter you niche, the easier it is to work it. So Mm -hmm. there must be some commonalities in in like what you're looking at from either the founder standpoint or the number standpoint or the growth. I mean, it has to be some kind of some central threads you're kind of like that you like. There's a reason you're in this area, right? Yeah, I mean, I would say say probably the commonalities would just be stage, like
3: what size of the company, where are they growing? Uh, We try to stay away from like really early companies. Uh, like that may not even have a a fully released product yet, like an MVP or something like that, because there's like minimal traction. So not really a lot behind the company yet. We're more focused on things that have been proven out a
1: little bit. Right. So what are kind of the benchmarks? I know I, you know I, all of us have watched Shark Tank where they come on and they go, well, Have you built a product? How many have you sold? they like well, I've got this drawing in my pocket and I think I can make it. And they're kind of mm-hmm. like, well, I don't think so. <laughs>
3: yeah. Well, we look for you some, know? we look for some demonstrable traction, the product that, you know, is either out on the market right now being taken in sales or like they're prototyping and they have pre-orders, something like that.
2: Yeah. that just proving that they have customers. And Shark Tank normally ranges from those types of investments are like pre-seed to seed investments. So they're very early on. We focus on anywhere from seed to around series C funding, which there's like after seed it goes series A, series B and onward. So we kind of yeah. stay within that range. Do um, you you
1: just mentioned all the levels. So for the listeners, you want to go through each one and describe what that means in your, in your terms as a VC entity? Yeah, sure, yeah. So yeah.
3: there's uh, so there's like angel family friends round, which is like really early on. Basically you're just pitching to like people you know with money or maybe some really early investors that will invest I don't know, maybe minimum of like a couple grand to maximum of like 50 or 75 grand. So right. nothing like really crazy. Uh, and then there's like pre-seed, which is maybe you kind of have an MVP or like you're working on like an early stage product, like you're early in the, in the design phase. So you're working on that. I mean, checks can, for pre-seed, they really, they they change depending on like what kind of company it is. Right. So like a company that's building out software might not need as much funding because it's relatively low cost, but then something else that's like an actual product might need more. So I don't want to say like an actual check size range, but right. it can it can vary anywhere from maybe like 100K to, I don't know, we've seen, seen pre-seed rounds up
2: to like 5 million. Okay. Right. Yeah, and then after that, once you get to the seed stage companies, they definitely have more traction. Generally always have a product, something that you can, um, something that, it's not just an idea at that point. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. tangible. Um, yeah, and right. those types of companies, once again, it depends on the industry. Like we've seen seed rounds for like in, like, you know, anywhere from one to around 10 million, I think. Um, it really varies at that point because once you get to then after seed is series A round, series B, series C. Those rounds is when your company is definitely very established. Um, and once you get later on the letters, those are some big name companies, things like, Um, Reddit, Discord, SpaceX, like those are private companies. They're not on the public market, but they've raised, you know, so Mm. many rounds of funding. So they were very established companies. Mm -hmm. So you get a pretty broad range of private companies uh, in general. So the series A, B, and C are companies are
1: actually up and running. They might just need money for expansion. Like everyone should while, you hear like Elon wants to go do something. He's like, he's raising like $3 billion next week or whatever.
2: yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
1: So how do you, what, now the A, B, and C, is that like per company level? Is that, uh, or is that, or is that just the order they go in? Or how would you describe the difference between the A, B, and the C other than just the order? Like they did one round, they're doing another round, they're doing another round? Yeah,
2: it's basically just order. Like it's just, you know, you've raise you raised your seed round. Now you're going to raise your series A round. I mean, obviously the money's money's going to get bigger. It should get bigger if the company's growing, but it does vary depending on companies. Like we've seen, um, you know, series, like, I'm sure there's some Series B rounds that are greater for one company than a Series C round that's for another company. Right. Um, and it all very, it very much depends on the, the space you're in, uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. So when you when you divide this, your
1: 70-30 things, so you're saying like the, the 70 would, would be more on the A, B, C level and the 30 would be more on the pre-seed and the seed, right? Kind yeah, we'll stay
3: away from pre-seed, pre-seed for the most just part, seed sorry. mostly seed, yeah.
1: So seed would be like your 30% and then the series rounds would be more like your 70%. So it's a little bit more of a, on the conservative side, so to speak. So you, you've got a pretty good track record at this point. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah,
2: yeah. so for tra- in terms of track record, um, we have about one point, in terms of like 1435 Capital Management, and okay. also BenGen Holdings, um, the, the, we have around 1.3 billion in aggregate assets under management. Um, that's included 336 investments with uh, I think 84 exits and 64 unicorns, so or approximately 60 unicorns. So a unicorn is when a company reaches a billion dollars in their valuation. So mm-hmm. we've had 64 companies that we've invested in reach that point. Um, and you know, we, we invest in 70% later stage companies. So it's not like all these 64 companies we're finding like you know, when they're really, really small companies, but you know, we're finding them slightly later stage, but they'll you know, grow into those types of companies. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. We're going to take another quick
1: break here. You're listening to Master Your Finances. We'll be right back.
0: This is Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. Learn about tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money and more from Kurt and his experienced panel of guests. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Ryder University. Ryder University offers flexible education for adult learners. For more information, it's rider.edu slash next step.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Master Finance. I'm here with Akash Patel and Andrew Summers. And we're having a lot of fun here. we got these companies. They're now got all these unicorns, 64 <laughs> at uh, over a billion dollars, which is awesome. So you would mentioned uh, just before the break how there's about hun- 1.3 billion in assets. Now, I know... Venture capital companies themselves have to have the funding to reallocate into the companies they want to go into, right? Mm Because you have people that have money that want to invest it, but they're like, I don't really want to get in this whole process you guys are going through. Because there's a lot of risk in that, Mm -hmm. and and it's a lot of expertise required because you're really siphoning this down to a very, very small percentage of those companies that come in. So how how does a venture capital company actually get funded typically? What what have you guys seen so far? Well, I mean, you can...
3: like. I think the most common thing is that people often exit their own startups and then they want to go and start their own VCs because they still want to be in the startup space, but just on the other side. So you see them bootstrapping a lot where they'll just put in their own money. But uh, for us and I guess some other VCs, it's kind of the same process of raising funding for a startup. It's a bit different, but you're still trying to get outside capital from whatever kind of investors. Maybe other VCs will invest in your fund. I mean, it's kind of funny because they... It's like a fund of funds, but right. But they do, they do have that. I think
2: Sequoia Capital does some sort of fund of funds that they they will invest in. Yeah, and I think it depends on the type of VC fund uh, you have. So if it's a, a more popular venture capital fund, you'll you'll you know you're you're gonna get funding um, because of your credibility. Right. Um, if you're starting a venture capital fund, you have to go to a lot of these pitch events where startups are pitching at. Sometimes there'll be a couple uh, funds that are pitching there. So that's an interesting part, because like Andrew mentioned, startups have to raise their money, but venture capital funds also kind of have to raise money um, in that same vein if they're an earlier company or if they're an earlier fund. So, And then another thing is the investors that invest in these funds are called accredited investors. So there's specific um, qualifications that you have to meet in order to actually invest in these funds. So when you're a venture capital fund, you have to look for these types of uh, investors. It can't just be um, any person
1: right you have to be incredible because it's a high it, because it's high risk they have to really be able to be, withstand the hit yeah. so to speak mm-hmm. from an income and or an asset standpoint yeah, yeah
3: cuz it does take a while to generate returns with venture capital cuz you have to wait a while for you know a company to develop and yeah. then actually have revenue and then hopefully uh, become profitable and exit in some sort of way like there's this J curve where the earlier you invest in a company uh the the returns are higher but you have to hold on to it and hold on to this risk for way longer just because it's an earlier stage. And like you have it, to see the company through uh, all those stages and eventually exit
1: in it. I mean, we, I constantly get these, these charts from people like, well, if you invested X in Netflix on this date, if you'd kept it, whatever ten years, it'd be worth X million, or, you know. And you're like, but did you look at the line? It was like, like yeah. flat, 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 mm-hmm. flat. And all of a sudden, boom! Yeah, yep. <laughs> it's like they probably had it seven years before it actually took off for three years or something. So it's that's true. And so, um, so w- typically when the when you're coming in as a, as a venture capitalist, you're mo- you're looking at the exit. Prior, right because people say well you know the, the exit is really you kind of figure out the exit and then you back into the whole deal, right so mm-hmm. what are you typically looking for as far as these different is every company similar or are there different companies where you have different expectations on when you might want to exit it so how do you guys st- kind of structure that aspect of it well there are definitely different
3: exit multiples for each like industry or and or company just because like uh, a biotech company might have a lower exit than like a uh, enterprise technology company right Mm -hmm. so it's also just kind of like what's hot on the market right now Uh, like I mean social media stuff isn't really as big as it was maybe like five to ten years ago right versus AI stuff is huge right now so the exit multiples are predicted to be way higher so there's definitely a discrepancy and just like a difference between you know what what could exit at a higher valuation and make way more return than something Something else. Yeah.
2: And then another interesting part about the exits is how they're going to like kind of grow the company. So, a lot of companies when they pitch, um, if they're a little bit later, if they have some sort of traction, they'll kind of say, Oh, we might want to get acquired by X company, one of these big giant companies. They might say that they want to get acquired by them or they might, you know, want to IPO in the future. There's different ways for them to kind of grow. And that's also something that we look at because we want to see you know, how realistic is their expectation of getting acquired by this big, huge company?
1: Right. So they had something very specific in mind, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, like, buy which was local here, ended up being bought by, I think, Dr. Pepper.
2: Yeah. So Mm -hmm. they kind
1: of, he's off doing something else. I don't know what he's doing. He's he's, he's building something else right now. But yeah, so you mentioned one that's actually kind of hot. Now, if you want to talk about this at all, is that AI is hot. And I mean, I'm constantly getting bombarded with, with AI. So how, yeah, this must be really interesting because it's like, AI can write stuff, and AI can do all these things. So, how how do you figure this one out? Because it's literally like an ex- exponential growth in what it's doing. Because it's like you, you take one AI thing and actually create other stuff that can create other stuff. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like yeah, it's kind of it's a tricky. little bit it's a little bit mind blowing if you kind of think about it. So, what it, are you guys thoughts? It makes about it that? hard
3: to assess for sure. I mean, they are definitely the like a fair share of good AI companies, but I feel like with that comes, you know, like ten or fifteen. I'll say like less impressive AI companies that, you know, like, oh, we leverage AI to do X, Y, Z, but in practice or like when, if they actually put out a product or some sort of service, it's kind of just like this low low grade AI model that, you know, like it gets the job done, but it's not really like anything crazy that's gonna exit, you know, like 25X or anything that's that special. It's just kind of like a, you know, relative use kind of tool. So it's kind of, it's definitely hard to assess because a lot of these AI companies are early on too, right? Since so many are coming out, like I know Y Combinator is like just throwing money at AI startups and AI founders. So it's like, what what is actually going to be important in ten years with AI is kind
2: of hard to say, right? It's right. it's really interesting when we go to these pitch competitions. One thing that was interesting to me when I first started and first attended these competitions, there were some of them where over fifty percent of the companies that are presenting. Are in some way they're saying, as Andrew said, leveraging AI. These they use these. They love know, the buzzword. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they like to <laughs> yeah. use certain buzzwords. Yeah, that because AI is proliferating and it's so popular, they like to you know use that and kind of integrate it within their own startup, and it makes it hard to identify what is you know as Andrew said going to be of use in the future. So that's something that. Um, you know, uh, so Ben, um, who actually owns 1435, he has background in technology. So for him, it's it's good because he has um, some more background in the area to kind of decipher which of these companies are, you know, going to be of use in the future. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, I'm listening
1: to this and I'm like, literally, like, every company that I know of has has, has told me they've integrated AI. Yeah. And it, it might be something as simple as, like, one of those little chat bot things that, like, mm-hmm. search their, yeah, like, their, their database. And yeah. I'm like... Well, then we had that before. They just didn't really. Call.
3: Yeah. It's yeah. Like, like when you go on a site and it's just like a chatbot on the side, like, how can we help you? I'm like, that's not really integrating AI. That's yeah. just that's just a plug in. Like, yeah. That's why I kind
1: of chuckled at myself. I go, yeah. we had this like two years ago on the same system. Yeah, it's exactly. like, this isn't new. Uh, this, but they're now just re. So people are starting to reframe like what they have because everything has to be AI oriented, right? And, yeah. and I don't know. My experience with it so far is it it gets a certain amount of the job done. But it, you still have to have people involved in most of this stuff. I mean, if you're doing any mm-hmm. kind of higher end stuff. Now, maybe that's going to change in the next few years. I mean, they keep talking about how it's going to change. But uh, but it's kind of a tricky area. So you have, to, you have to really have, I guess what I'm saying is, from my understanding, you really have to have expertise as to actually what's going on. Mm-hmm. And have some, like Ben does, have some technical understanding of, of what is real and what is just kind of like. You know, pitching something and packaging yeah. it to make it look nice.
3: Yeah, it's it's helpful to see like what's actually going on behind the scenes or under the hood to get like mm-hmm. an idea of like, because we we've, we've seen some startups pitch, and they'll just say, we're a like a security company with with AI leveraging um I don't know it's like cybersecurity. But, but if you dive into the questions and ask them like oh how are you different? They're just like oh we just we just leverage AI models. Right. It's like, but that doesn't make your business necessarily special. Or like unique that a customer would buy your product so it's very tricky to kind of get yeah. an idea
1: because in our industry the big one now is everybody says well we're using ai investing now mm-hmm. i go we've had this stuff in the past <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like this is the, just the new iteration of like forecasting and, and mm-hmm. back testing mm-hmm. and all the other things we've done for decades um this is just like a new iteration of the of the of the, what we're doing i mean it's really not any different yeah. than what had been done in the past just the higher tech uh numbers so what else are you guys seeing now obviously ai is the big hot button are there any other industries i know you guys have had some interesting investments that you guys have been involved in i've been to your office so do you want to talk about any of these things that you can talk about without uh you know i don't want to things that are already like in place that you're allowed to talk about like some some types of companies have come through
2: i mean some of like we can talk about some of the investments that we've made like in the past so airbnb and um, Moderna, I think were the two biggest investments for 1435 mm-hmm. um, as a whole, and for BenGen Holdings. So that's happened, in, I think, within the past five to ten years. Right. Um, and those those have been the biggest uh, in terms of multiples. Um, other investments in the portfolio include things like Chime, uh, Zoom, Dialpad, things like that. Um, and those have been those have been pretty successful. As for right now, we have a couple. You know, we're looking at some companies. Yeah. Um, but I, we can't really say exactly what we're working on. Yeah, don't, no, don't right tell now. me what you're yeah. working on. I didn't want I because I'm yeah. not going
1: to mention any names that I know because I don't know what status they're at. Cause I don't want to get it. I don't yeah, want to yeah. do anything that I'm not supposed to be doing. So yeah, so but it's interesting. So those were all very different, right? Mm-hmm. But it looked to me like looks like some tech involved a little bit in all of the ones you just mentioned, right? Yeah, yeah we're to be basically some tech just ask. in the broader tech
3: industry. So yeah, yeah. so I mean, how I'm,
1: it's impacted it might be consumer services. Obviously, Airbnb. There's consumers coming there, mm-hmm. but there's a lot it's basically a tech platform right yeah <laughs> yeah so.
3: i mean i think vc has pretty much just become tech investing right over the years just because like that's what the new companies are using and that's just what they are so cool That's been
1: awesome. We're going to take another quick break. You're listening to Master Your Finances.
0: This is Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. Learn about tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money and more from Kurt and his experienced panel of guests. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider University offers flexible education for adult learners. For more information, it's rider.edu slash next step.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finance. I'm here with Akash Patel and Andrew Summers, and we're talking about the VC investing, which is really interesting. A lot of stuff going on these days, and it sounds like a a common thread is tech. AI is a big thing now, so you guys are screening that out. And you talked a lot about how the VC companies actually have funds, and you talked about funds of funds and things like that. And I also understand you might have your own fund happening. Now, you guys are just leaving high school, heading into college, getting involved in VC, and you're actually working on your first fund, which is awesome. Do you want to tell me a little bit about, that? I guess, how you got the idea, so to speak, and what exactly this is that you're creating?
3: Yeah, so what we're creating is called Homeroom Fund. And basically what we've realized at being VCs as high schoolers and now you know, graduating is that there's really just like this large lack of opportunity for high schoolers in the VC space. Like it's hard to get internships or even shadowing experience. So Homeroom Fund is designed to kind of bridge that gap that allows high schoolers to run a fund and manage the fund and go through all the uh, venture capital processes like due diligence, you know, sourcing uh, deals, meeting with startups, kind of everything that encapsulates VC
1: uh, Home Room Fund will let high schoolers do. So tell me how they're going to do that. So I'm an accredited investor. I'm going to come to you and give it to give it to high schoolers to invest my money?
2: Yeah, so that, that's obviously <laughs> gonna a question. You're going to have to get me through a couple of these hurdles here, right? Yeah, so that's obviously a question we've got a lot. <laughs> yeah, so okay. yeah, we, go have, ahead. we have oversight from uh, 1435 Capital. Okay. So that's the company that there you go. Uh, we've been working for over the summer. So Ben uh, and Amar Harani are very experienced uh, within the venture capital space within startups so they've had you know years of experience um, in VC so we're overseen by them and all the investments that we make are going to be you know basically fact checked by them but the whole point of the homeroom fund is for high schoolers to gain experience with the process and start getting investing experience um, this early on so we're investing in earlier stage companies um, how early now
1: how early are you going to be? Earlier
3: than 1435. So, we're going to do like seed stage roughly. Okay. Maybe like more developed pre seed to, to a degree. Okay. But mostly seed stage, yeah. Okay. So, have you guys started this now or is this something you're getting ready to start? So, we started it. We're currently in the process of like getting funds and setting everything up uh, to hopefully deploy,
2: you know, within the next couple of months. Okay. Yeah, it's been a pretty quick process in terms, like, I think we we had the idea and and started it maybe two or three weeks ago. We've just been working on making the presentations to pitch to investors, setting up um, the bank like bank accounts, setting up uh, legal stuff for the corporation itself. So basically, just setting up the foundations for the fund, and then you know we're we're beginning the process um, of raising capital. Actually, we're gonna be pitching. Okay. In the very very near future, mm-hmm.
1: let's, let's hear the let's hear some of the pitch then, right? <laughs> what 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 you know? You got a whole bunch of people listening. So, what what would be the reason? I mean, you, you, altruistic reasons are fantastic, but they're like, hey, look, I want to make a little money too, right? I mean, because yeah, they, well, they could be passionate about the cause, which obviously. That's one thing people don't really realize is a lot of times people get involved in entities because they're passionate about the cause itself, right? Mm-hmm. Not just mm-hmm. what they're doing, the money-wise. So the, that's, so. tell me a little bit about like, who you're going like, to target. Like, how are you going to well, find these people? And, we're
3: kind of targeting people or investors who really want to support youth entrepreneurship and just like, learning about business and venture capital and startups just from a really young age. Like maybe they you know, started a company outside of college like, or in college and you know, they want to give back in a way and kind of show mm-hmm. uh, high school kids like, okay, this is, this is a path that you could take. You don't have to spend you know, five years at X company and then do this and then eventually get to VC. Like It's something that you can learn about like, right from the get-go
2: if you're interested. And also, okay. also, I think there's definitely an opportunity to, you know, it's an investment at the end of the day to, sure. make, to make return on your money. Because we're not just, you know, some random high schoolers. We've had experience over the summer as venture analysts. So we've sat in on these calls with a bunch of founders. We've heard pitches from a, a lot of companies. And we've had experience in the due diligence process in determining what investments we should make. But then also, obviously, we have the oversight from some of the you know most experienced people in the, the VC industry. So I think that the combination of that... Um, is what makes the homeroom fund special amongst other venture capital funds.
1: Okay. So what what are you gonna like target on as far as like the type of companies that you're gonna be interested in looking at? Because you're gonna have to go out and like find these well it's too streets, right? You give you need the investors, mm-hmm. but now you need the companies. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, right. So, so you're gonna go find the investors, which I guess you're you can tell me a little bit about that and then tell me how you're gonna find the actual companies that you're gonna try to screen.
2: Yeah. So for in terms of finding investors, the the same pitch competitions that Um, startups raise capital we can enter those pitch competitions and raise capital for our fund ourselves which is interesting because we've been hearing these pitches but now in the near future we're going to be pitching at these places Mm -hmm. which is a pretty cool concept so that's one way we can uh, get investors Um, you know there's other opportunities for like the same way that you can cold email or use different types of applications um to get startup funding it's the same thing for VC funding so we're kind of using our experience in what we've seen startups raise money and that's how we're gonna um, raise money as you know the venture capital fund
3: yeah also cool. just talking to like connections you know uh, pitching to them and just uh, kind of leveraging our network to you know reach out to anybody who'd be interested and in terms of like actually uh, finding startups you know we probably just end up going to a lot of pitch events maybe we'll hold an event you know. Okay. Um, to find local startups who want to pitch to us and then we can source and
2: screen them from there. And then an interesting thing about our background because we're going to college, so I'm going to Northwestern University, Andrew's going to the University of Virginia. So at those colleges, there's accelerator programs for a lot of start- for a lot of college startups. So we can source deals from that. Um, there's pitch events at the colleges in order to like at the conclusion of a lot of different college programs, there's demo. There's demo days, so we can attend that. We can source deals through our college network, and I think that that's an interesting thing because a lot of venture capital funds, you know, they're not going to be led by high school or college students. So we have that differentiator. Okay, so you wanted to touch
1: on? You mentioned accelerator fund. Do you want to talk about what an accelerator program is, real quickly? Yeah. So, so people know.
2: an accelerator is basically a program that helps startups. Um, you know, it's in the name: accelerate their business, grow their business. It teaches them how to. Um, you know, ma- to teach them how to develop products and get their products on the market. And normally in these invest in these accelerator programs, at the end of these programs, the startups will have a pitch competition where they can network with investors, they can, you know, start the raising capital process or even get um, grant money from the competition itself. So those events are really great ways for startups and investors to get connected.
3: Yeah, there's also uh, different incubator programs, mm-hmm. which is kind of helping startup ideas you know turn into products or like uh, early stage products basically so I'm sure many college students have you know startup ideas but they don't know what to do with it like how do you start something so they can go to these incubators and like basically start that idea and get it rolling and so those eventually graduate to accelerators but we can still source from the idea stage and you know kind of follow it and if we get to a point where they, we think we might want to
1: invest we could you know, go further into due diligence with them and check it out. That's that's awesome. So when you guys are, you're going to create a fund. So typically, like, what do you, how much money do you typically want to raise as a venture capital fund? Does it, I mean, there's some minimum you need before you can actually actively start doing what you want to do, or does it really, I mean, there has to be some kind of amount that you need to start with, right?
2: I mean, you can have, so we obviously have a goal that we right. want to raise an amount right. and, you know, we, even if we don't reach that amount, we can still close our raising and then start deploying capital with whatever we have so obviously we're going to try to reach that goal, but even if you don't reach that goal, you can still um, you know deploy the capital with what you have and what you've got. right, so once somebody's invested let me talk, touch on this real briefly because
1: once you invest in the company, you're not just the money part, it's the expertise part. so how's that part going to work with home with your fund home fund? So homeroom fund?
3: we're just providing financial backing, we're okay. not going to provide any kind of advising okay. to that much degree. We're just pretty much going to focus on the investing side, okay, and maybe more advising side with fourteen
1: thirty-five. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So, uh, so, what else can you tell us about like your venture, your 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 project here?
2: Um, I mean, we're going to be the. I guess kind of the timeline is the goal is to raise money within the next couple of months and okay. kind of close our round. And once we do that, it'll be a, hopefully a six to 12 month process of deploying our capital. So what that looks like is we hope to make an investment maybe once per month, once or twice per month um, into different types of companies. So throughout our time, throughout the period of deploying capital, we'll be you know going to these pitch events, talking with founders, engaging in due diligence, which is when you analyze companies, when you analyze their metrics and their team. We'll be engaging in that process. And if we find a company that we'll like, you know, we'll take steps to make that investment. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. And then beyond that, it will pretty much just be like checking up with investments, uh, writing quarterly reports, going over like the performance, you know, anything new that they've made, maybe brought to the market, things like that, just kind of an updating investors beyond, uh, deploying all our capital. And then maybe, you know, we'll start the second fund and start the whole process okay. over again.
1: Okay. So yeah, talk to that a little bit. So once you've deployed the the funding, I mean, what, Because you're going to be kind of silent. You're not really offering advice. So you are obviously want to watch your investment. So how do you go through, how's that process of actually, uh, because these are private companies right now. So how do you know, like, actually how they're doing and what's going on? And maybe they're being successful. Well, what if they're not being successful? At some point, you're like, hey, I mean, I know Elon Musk, he's asked for, like, additional capital. Like, you know, can you fund me some more? I'm running a little short this month. Yes. Yeah, well, I think
3: it's just, you know, having calls with founders okay. and just like getting updates, like performance updates, and we can assess from there. I mean, they don't need to
2: be like that often, right? Maybe right. be like once a quarter, right. but just to get an idea of kind of where they're at. And then once we, you know, meet with those founders, we can update our own investors on how the portfolio companies are doing. And that's also a part of just kind of maintenance uh, once the capital is deployed. Well, it's an awesome, awesome gentleman. Any final thoughts before we sign off here? Um, where do they find the fund maybe when it's up and running? Yeah, we have a website, uh, homeroomfund.com, okay. and uh, a contact email, which is contact at homeroomfund.com, uh, if you want to yeah, you reach can reach out if you have any questions. Okay. Yeah. All right. Obviously, I
1: don't endorse any, any investment advice <laughs> yeah. on this yeah. thing. But, yeah, so you can, you can take a look and see what it's all about. Um, we've been listening to Master Your Finance. If you want to watch this show or any, you can subscribe at MasterYourFinances.us.
0: That was this week's episode of Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. Tune in every Sunday at 9 a.m. to expand your knowledge in building and managing your wealth. Missed an episode? No worries. You can subscribe to a free weekly episode of Master Your Finances to listen to on your favorite podcasting platform. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Want to add new skills to your resume? Take a continuing studies course at Ryder University.